May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. O little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a prominent part of the Christmas story. The small city stands today in the hills of Judea, a short 30-minute drive from Jerusalem. It's bordered by an eight-meter concrete wall, and access is severely restricted through checkpoints. I visited Bethlehem in 2010. We sat together in a hilltop cave and read the story of the angel appearing to the shepherds, the heavenly host praising God. The location story of the shepherds and the shepherd hills has never been in dispute. The shepherds did their task. They told what they had seen and heard, and it was never forgotten. After our devotions, I stood on top of that hill and looked across the land and pondered the sky. I imagined what it would have been like to see the whole thing filled with angels. What would it have felt like to hear the roar of their voices singing, Glory to God. Bethlehem is a place of great hospitality. Its name means house of bread, Bethlehem. It's a place of family and deep, deep rootedness. It's a site of pilgrimage, a holy place for many people. It's also a place of abiding pain and suffering. The people who live there today are under the occupation. Their movements are severely restricted. They're separated from their friends and their loved ones. Since the building of the wall in the year 2000, their businesses are severely compromised. Prior to that, people would drop by for lunch. No more complicated driving from Jerusalem to Bethlehem than it is popping out to Armstrong to try one of the bistros there. But today, it's an arduous task of long lineups and irritating questions. I visited the Church of the Nativity after the final day of Ramadan. Ramadan is a month-long spiritual practice of fasting from food and water during the daylight hours, and families may only eat after sunset. So every evening in the month, the families gather together to break their fast, but on that last day, that final day, there is a great celebration, and most of the families stay up all night enjoying special foods and soft drinks that are a part of their tradition. So that happened to be the day we were in Bethlehem, and when we, the tour group I was with, the 18 of us, arrived at the restaurant for our lunch, it was closed for the holiday. We had other plans in the afternoon, and so we couldn't cross back and forth through the checkpoint to find food. But our local tour guide was a Palestinian, and he had friends who lived in Bethlehem. This couple had recently reclaimed their home and restaurant from the Israeli occupation, and they were willing to open their business for us on the holiday. Their hospitality was gracious and deeply appreciated. The house of bread. And so naturally, I was reminded again of the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph, foot sore and weary from traveling, 
travel enforced upon them by the occupying government. They come to the village of their ancestry and rely on the hospitality they find there, a safe and quiet place where Mary may have her baby. I'm certain the innkeeper called a midwife for them, made sure there was fresh water and provisions as they stayed amidst the familiar and comforting sounds and smells of the animals. After our delicious lunch, we toured a purpose-built community which houses Palestinian refugees. In the same way that the town of Bethlehem has been continuously inhabited for thousands of years, there used to be many, many more villages throughout the region. But over the years since 1947, most of these have been leveled, the houses destroyed, the land confiscated, and some families relocated in Bethlehem into these refugee areas. But many more have left the country and are part of the five million Palestinian refugees who live around the world. They, many of them still carry the key to the front door of their homes as a symbol of their loss. In the days following the birth of Jesus, the people of Bethlehem suffered their own holocaust. Herod, their governing ruler, was crazed with jealousy, mad to retain his throne. Visiting dignitaries arrive one day at the house of Herod. I think we call them wise men because they stop to ask for directions. And these foreigners tell Herod they believe an infant has been born to fulfill an ancient prophecy, and they're excited to come and, and meet this child. But in response, Herod plots and manipulates to discover the location of the child. So the foreign men are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They eschew the comforts of the palace and secretly return to their own lands. But the cat is out of the bag. Herod can't let the story of the prophecy remain unchallenged. It's not the first time in biblical history that tyrannical leaders are threatened by the birth of a child. In ancient days in Egypt, the pharaoh became worried about the growing strength and population size of his Hebrew slaves, and he also ordered all the children to be slaughtered on the birthing bed. This is how the baby Moses came to be hidden in a basket in the river for his protection. Throughout the ages, God has witnessed tyranny, and God grieves with his people. God does not directly intervene in the free will of humankind, but God provides healing, hope, and guidance in the midst of our suffering. In other words, salvation. In Bethlehem, Joseph is visited by an angel, not for the first time. Remember, it was an angel that confronted him when he discovered the woman that he was promised, Mary, was pregnant by another. On the angel's advice then, Joseph listened and stayed with Mary. Now the child has been born healthy and strong. They're living a comfortable life in Bethlehem. The stories of the shepherds and their own relatives open doors for them. But now the angel tells Joseph, kick up your heels, get out of town. Flee in the night to Egypt and stay there until you receive further instruction. Herod has been overcome by his paranoia, and he orders the slaughter of all the infants in Bethlehem. 
Just imagine for a moment what trauma this death would have caused. The death of a child is always horrible in every age. But imagine the suffering in a community that loses all of its infants to violence. No house would have been untouched by grief. The trauma would have lasted for generations. These children are the first Christian martyrs. They died because of tyranny, because of fear, and the obsessions of the ruling powers. And we mourn and remember them today with all the saints. Jesus recalled them when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But as Christians, it's vitally important for us to remember the story never ends with tyranny and oppression. The shepherds told us that the angels said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Don't we all need a little good news? The angels bring tidings that can overwhelm the bleakness and the worry that threatens us in every age. The Hebrew title we're given for our Savior is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God steadfastly with us in the thick of the cold abuse of power and the tyranny of governments and rulers. God is with us in the depth of our sorrow and grief and loss. God suffers with us and in anguish. There's nothing that can separate us from the steadfast love of God. The parents who lost their children bear no burden of guilt that they did something to deserve this. It was precisely into this time of greatest suffering, of greatest tyranny, that God sent his only son into the world to be our savior. And what has Jesus done? Jesus has shown us the good news. Through his life, passion, and resurrection, Jesus shows us that God is not a clockmaker who created the world and sits back and watches it run. God is there, sending angel messengers to guide Joseph out of the path of destruction. God is there, leading him back again to a place where Jesus could grow up and become renowned as teacher and healer. God is there when power-hungry rulers called for Jesus' death. And through the resurrection, God is here today with us, lifting us up when we grieve, shouldering our burdens when we suffer, carrying us through to the comfort and peace that he promises is our reward. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. John Vandelaar, a biblical commentator from South Africa, writes, the placement of these stories in the Christmas story reminds us that great joy and great suffering exist right beside each other. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Even as we celebrate, others are grieving. Our celebrations are empty and destructive unless we're also working to create a reason for the least and the most vulnerable among us to celebrate. It's good for us to go directly from peace on earth and goodwill to humanity on Tuesday to the reality of violence 
destruction and suffering on Sunday so that we can renew our commitment to the Christmas message in the light of the pain in the world. Here in All Saints Church, we have a tradition of the memory tree over in the corner there. You'll notice the tree has paper doves on it. Members of the church and other guests have written the names of the people we grieve at Christmas. The tree is a witness to how many of us carry both celebration and suffering in this season. When the tree is dismantled, I will collect all of the names and give them to the healing prayer team, and they will lift up in prayer each person who is named. God is at work in our world today, lifting up the suffering and the marginalized. It's much harder to keep secrets today. Tyranny is exposed. God hears our cries. And God is at work in Christ, leading us to the abundant life Christ promised. God hears our cry and collects our tears, offers us the gift of grace and a source of hope and joy. And God invites us to participate in the work of joy-bringing, life-giving, and saving. And so there are many Josephs in the world today. There are men and women who listen to God's guidance, who work to bring about peace and an end to tyranny. In every place of suffering, we find people working to affect real change. Teachers, peacemakers, health workers, carpenters, journalists, aid workers. In every place, there are people who are not afraid to go, not afraid to intervene and speak truth to power. There are people not afraid to bring a message of healing and hope. This is the work of salvation. This is the presence of the Lord according to his mercy and steadfast love. And this is why we gather to praise God and put our trust in him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Glory to God and on earth peace and goodwill to all people. Amen.